This is an Emmaus Church podcast. For more information about Emmaus Church, please visit EmmausDenver.com. Our scripture reading for today is Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20. It says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is the word of the Lord. Bless you. And good morning. Um, So today we are kind of starting, well not kind of, we are starting another mini-series, a mini-series within a mini-series. So we're pretty meta around here. Um, But today we kind of want to, what we're doing is we want to explore, so the past couple weeks we've been really, if you've been with us, we've been going through the story of Scripture, looking at all of Scripture and seeing how it's all one cohesive story that points to who God is and what he has done, what he's doing. We've been kind of answering those questions. Who is God and what is he doing? And we've been kind of doing that through the telling of the story. And Cole last week talked about specifically what is God's purpose for his story? What's his mission? And so today is kind of a continuation of that. But we're focusing in a little bit more. We've been spending time focusing on those questions on who God is, what has he done? Now we want to turn the lens towards ourselves and say because of who God is and because of what he has done, who are we? Who is Emmaus? And then next week, Aaron is going to kind of answer the the last question, and that is, because of who God is and what has he done and who we are, what do we then do? And so that's kind of what this series has kind of been trying to to be about. Um, And so today, like I said, we're kind of turning our lens to the second two questions, specifically that first one of who are we? So that's what we're doing today. And this morning... I want everyone to kind of to walk away with a tool and to help us answer that question so we can go back when we're, we're thinking about this question, a series of questions that you can have a tool to remember who it is that you are. And so it's this. Uh, this is the question we're going to answer and, and kind of a tool that I want us to use. So we can know, we can, I can know who I am because I know who God is. I know who I am because I know who God is. That's what I want us to walk away with in confidence this morning. And we've been spending a lot of time talking about God and his story and his mission and emphasizing that because we can't answer that question. We can't answer the question of who we are without knowing that, without knowing who God is and what he's done. Because for us as followers of Christ, who we are has everything to do with who he is. So I can't, let me explain where I'm going with that. When Jesus gave his great commission, he said this, the verses that Anna read, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. So it's in baptism that we're not only given a new life, But with our new life in Christ, we're given a new identity. When Christ has commanded his church to go out on a mission, 
and he includes baptism. He says, baptize in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Spirit. It's because he knows that in baptism and that symbolism of baptism, we're given a new identity. We're, to make a disciple is to, is to change who that person is. It's to change who we are. Consider this. God gave names, new names to people all throughout scripture. There's one person in particular, kind of one of the first instances we see of this is Abram, when Abram is given a new name, Abraham. And Cole kind of talked about him last week. Um, But there's this particular passage in, in Genesis 17. It says this, when Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless that I may make my covenant between me and you, and you may multiply greatly. Then Abram fell on his face, and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but you shall be called Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring, after you throughout their generations and for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I wanted to pause and and look at that story because we're talking about the Great Commission, about what Jesus has called us to do, to make disciples, to baptize them to the name of the Father and the Son and the Spirit. What's happening is it's a naming ceremony. We no longer have the name of our old self. We've been baptized into a new name. We've been called into something new. And I point out Abraham because when you think about that story, when God came and he, and he called Abraham and he gave him that name, it was before he was a father. For Abraham's name to mean father of many nations, it was before he was a father. And I think that's significant because it means that our new identity is not about what we have done. It's not about what we have already done. God gives us that name because he's giving us a a purpose that is for him. He's giving us a name that says, I will do this in you. It's by my name, by the Father's name, by the Son's name, by the Spirit's name, that you will become a disciple. So like Abraham, all those that come before us have been given new names. We are given new life in Christ in that baptism. And I'm saying all this today because I want us to be confident, to be able to say, I know who I am because I know who God is. And so I want us to look at that, look at this passage and look at, look at what it means to be baptized in the name of in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, and in the name of the Spirit. So I kind of want to zoom in on that and want us to consider what it means to be baptized in the name of the Father. What does being baptized in the name of the Father change about us? What name do we receive from that? What does it mean to be baptized in the name of the Son? What do we receive from that? What does it mean to be baptized in the name of the Spirit? What do we receive with that? How does it change us? What, what name are we given? What does our name change to?
Um, so before we jump into that, I just want to pray that the Spirit would be working in our hearts as we consider that today. Father, we thank you for your goodness. God, we can, we can trust that you are good. We can trust that you are the holder of all truth, that you're beautiful, that what, Jesus, you've accomplished in your life and your death and your resurrection is beautiful. Then when we give our lives over to you, and we take that step of faith and receive that in grace, you change who you are. You're seeking to, to transform us, as Paul says, by the renewing of our minds. You've given us a new identity, and I pray that this morning as we look to your word, as we consider your words to us, that, that we would walk in confidence in who we are because we know who you are, Jesus, and what you've done for us. So Spirit, be at work in our hearts to open our ears and our eyes to see and hear your beauty. So in your name we pray, amen. So this morning I'm gonna start with the Father. There are many names that God has been known by that people have called him throughout scripture. And these names are oftentimes based on his attributes, who he is and what he's done for his people. It's been called Jehovah Jireh, because he's a God who provides. It's been called Jehovah Rapha because he's a God who heals. Amen. The name that I think we should celebrate most is Father. Paul in his letter to the Ephesians reminds us why. Ephesians 1, the beginning of his letter, he says, Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. So God the Father who before the foundations of the world desired you to be a part of his family. Yes, Lord. God's mission, as we've seen, as Cole explains to us, it's, it's about his presence. It's always been about drawing his people back to him, drawing us close to him. That's where he wants us, near to him, in his presence. So much so, that he would adopt us. And I think what that means for us, what we can know about our father is that he's a father who pursues. He comes after us. It's not just a love of obligation. He doesn't need, he doesn't need us. He wants us. He comes after us and he makes us his own. So to be baptized in the name of the Father is to be adopted. It means you are adopted by the way, as Paul says, of Jesus' death and his resurrection you share in. And when you come up out of the water of baptism, 
You're given a new name. No longer a stranger, no longer an enemy, or far off, but as a child of God, your adopted father. So when we say, who is God? We can say he's father. And what has he done? According to Paul, he has adopted us. He made us his own. So who are we? If God is our father, and we hear his adopted children, then who are we, Emmaus? We're family. And I wanna, I wanna pose a question this morning. And maybe it's loaded. But do you believe that you are a dearly loved child of God? Do you believe that? If you profess with your faith that Christ is who he says he is and has done what he says he's done, and you believe that, you would call yourself a Christian, do you believe this truth? That when you were baptized, you were baptized in the name of your father who loves you as his own son because of what Christ has done. Ask that question because I think the answer to it has a lot to do with how you live out that name you've been given. As family, as a child, as a son and daughter. When a couple of years ago, um, I don't know, maybe there's not a lot of people in this room that were around then, but uh, the first sermon that I ever preached at Emmaus uh, was about suffering and was on Second Corinthians chapter one and about God being the God of all comfort. And one of the stories I shared was the story of my niece. Um, but for those of you who may not remember, um, I want to share it again because a lot has happened since then. Um, but about, it's hard to tell now, maybe four or five years ago, my niece was removed from custody from my sister um, due to neglect and some pretty extreme living conditions that were not safe. And my parents have been raising her since then. And my parents are in their late 60s. My dad will be 70 in August, actually. Um, so you can imagine uh, that there aren't a lot of uh, people in their 60s that want to be raising a now seven-year-old. <laughs> Um, you know, I, I'm a father of a two-year-old, and that is enough to wear me out, and I'm not even 30 yet. <laughs> I will be in March, but still. <laughs> I'm holding on, okay? <laughs> holding on to my youth. No, but, but, you know, when I think about that, how there are days, how tired I am with just one kid, and, and she's a two-year-old, and I think, man, like, I would not want to be raising, a at the time, three-year-old in my 60s, um, and I see it, you know, Oftentimes when I talk to my parents, I, I, I can feel the weight on them of that burden. And obviously, you know, the circumstances too of it's not just any kid, it's their granddaughter. They're raising their granddaughter because of the neglect of their daughter. And that's a, that's a hefty thing. And, and the reason that I'm sharing this story um, is because I've also had a lot of conversations and, and heard a lot from them in light of that, in light of that burden, 
the way that the church, their church has stepped up for them. Because in a lot of ways, it is, it is hard. It's not an easy situation, but um, there's story after story of people in their church who have, who've watched her so they could, so my mom could, could be with her mother as she was passing away last year. Yeah, helping, you know, take her off their hands so they could go out um, the same way that a lot of us do for each other. Um, helping out when they, with meals, when they've had to drive up to Oklahoma City for all her doctor's appointments because of her underlying conditions. Um, yeah, story after story of that. And, and, I, and I'm saying this because when we've been adopted, when we've been called by our father, we've been given this new name. It's the name of family. And, and that's what we've been called to. It's not just a name, but it's also a calling. And I share that story about my niece because it's just such a, a tangible example for me of what it looks like that once you've been given that new name, you, you live it out, you live in that name. And I, I see that all the time in Emmaus too. But I'm so grateful that I know that there's so much that I've received from all of you. And it gives me great joy that, that my parents receive a lot of the same, even in their difficult season. And I share that with you because I, I don't want you to forget what it means to be family. That when we receive these names from God, when we, we're given that new name, we're also given a purpose. What it means to receive an, an identity is to receive a purpose, to receive who you are. I don't want to get too much into the what we do, so I'm going to leave that for Aaron, but consider that today. If you believe you're a dearly loved child of God, then you are a part of a family. And to be a family is to live like a family. And when you do, it matters. <laughs> it changes things for people who otherwise would feel alone on their burden. When we extend the love and care we've received from our Father toward each other, for the people not yet a part of the family, it's what it means to be a part of the family, to look like family, to live in that new name, that new purpose. Community without conditions. So I know who I am because I know who God is. He's a father who runs towards his prodigal son. He's a God who gathers people to himself, people whom he refuses to give up on, even when we're stubborn in our sin, even when we don't love each other well as we should. He has compassion on us over and over. So God is our father and we are his family. So God is the father, but we also know because of Jesus that God is the son. So I wanna talk about the son. And looking at that pattern of answering who God is and what has we done, I think we should ask, what did Jesus do? Jesus is the son of God. He's part of that Trinitarian name. Obviously, he did a lot. I mean, there's, 
more that Jesus has done than we would ever have time <laughs> to list on a Sunday morning. Um, but I, I kind of want to narrow in on what I think is one word that's a really great picture that sums up a lot of what Jesus did, how he operated, what his posture was. And the word that I think of is servant. Jesus says this of himself in Matthew. He said, the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. And that's exactly what he did. Paul tells us in Philippians that even though Jesus was equal to God, he lowered himself by taking on the form of a servant. I think it's safe to say that everything Jesus did, from his teaching to his healing, performing miracles, fulfilling the law, paying the debt for our sin on the cross, raising to life, all of it was an act of divine servanthood. But he's also done something else. If you remember the, the fifth act in the story, it's called kingdom. And we call it kingdom because we recognize that what Jesus did, what he accomplished in his redemption is the establishment of a kingdom, his kingdom. So when we see Jesus' posture of humility and servanthood, we're seeing the posture of our king, our servant king, who then calls us to serve him, serve his kingdom. So again, we ask, who is God? He's the son, Jesus, our servant king. What has he done? He's established a kingdom. He served us in that. So then who are we? Who can we say that we are? For baptized into the name of the servant king. We're servants. Jesus says this in the Gospel of John in the upper room. He says, If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do just as I have done to you. Truly, Truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. So according to the greatest of all servants, he served us so that we too would be servants, so we could serve others. So to be baptized into the name of Jesus, the name of the Son, is to be baptized into that commission, into that purpose, to serve others the way we've been served. I know who I am, because I know who God is. Our God, who is familiar and comfortable, even, with humiliation. Jesus, who had every right to come and rule with an iron fist, describes himself as lowly and gentle in heart. Jesus, who had every right to only be served because it's what he deserves. He's holy and righteous. He deserves all the glory and honor and power. But he said of himself that he came to serve, 
Not only that, but to die. Give his life, life as a ransom for many, for those who would reject him. No servant is greater than their master. If that's who our God is, if that's who we're baptized into the name of, then that job description is pretty fitting for us too. And I want to ask, where do we start with that? How do we, how do we begin to, to live in that identity? To own that identity, that name of servant? And there's a couple questions that I want to ask. And I'm not really going to answer, <laughs> but I want you to, to chew on them. And chew on them together in your GCs. Well, let's ask this, if we want to know what this new name means for us. Ask, where does the kingdom of God, what does it look like when it's fully realized? And where are we not seeing and experience that kingdom? What would it look like for the kingdom of God to be fully realized in your neighborhood, at your job, within your families, Find the answer to that and then ask, where are you not actually seeing it? You know what it looks like. You know what Jesus said it's supposed to be. Where is that not happening yet? And I think that's where we start. When we know that, when we know that we are, we've been given this new name of servant and we belong in a kingdom to our servant king. Yes. We need to consider that. What does it look like then to live in that? For it to live in that identity as a family and love each other like family, because that's our name. And if our name is servant, then we need to be concerned with how are we serving? Whose feet should we be washing? Let's consider that this morning. So we talked about the Father, baptized the name of the Father. Baptized in the name of the Son, but there's one more. We're baptized into the name of the Holy Spirit. When you consider all the places that God's Spirit pops up in Scripture, I think you begin to see a, a pattern of equipping. Often when the Spirit comes upon someone, as it often says, it's to equip them for a task at hand. Um, you know, a lot of like Sunday school stories, like Samson, when he tears down the, what are building, the columns. I know it's probably in Veggie Tales somewhere. <laughs> Larry the Cucumber, his invisible arms. <laughs> but stories like that, I mean, there, there are several stories like that. Or, you know, Elijah like running like the flash to like get somewhere before his enemies. Whatever it is, those things are usually. They were like one-time things. The Spirit came upon them, and they did something amazing and supernatural, but then it was over. You know, for Samson's case, it didn't end super well either. But the point is, the power of the Spirit didn't stay for long. But for the disciples of Jesus, though, it was a little different. Jesus even said to them in, in John chapter 20, if you haven't noticed, I'm referencing John a lot because... You know, we're going to be in there. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, 
Even so, I'm sending you. And when he said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. And he says this to them in the first chapter of Acts, before he ascends to the right hand of the Father. He says, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. I think what's unique about what Jesus promised is that the Spirit is staying. When the Spirit comes upon us, when we receive the Spirit, He's not going anywhere. It's not like Samson. We aren't left alone. Jesus promised us, remember, in His Great Commission, that He'd be with us to the end of the age. And what he's saying here is, I'll be with you to the end of the age as you go to the ends of the earth. So I think, again, it's the Spirit. It's the same language. The Spirit is equipping. He's equipping and he's empowering us to be sent, to be witnesses, to represent our servant king to the nations. So again, let's ask the questions. Who is God? He's the Spirit. What has He done? According to Christ, He's come upon us to empower us, to send us. So then who are we? That's who God is and what He's done. Who are we? We're ambassadors. We're representatives. So the Spirit doesn't just give us Generation it doesn't just aid us in new life. It gives us new purpose. It's ambassadors. As the Spirit is sent, we are sent. Not alone, but with the presence of God. So what does it mean to be an ambassador? I'm going to share Second Corinthians, which you guys should probably be able to recite by memory with me by now. It's like we've referenced it in like... Aaron referenced it before he was gone. Cole referenced it last week. But I'll read it again, just in case you didn't. So therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Amen. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God is reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and trusting us to the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God, making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. So kind of what I've been saying this whole time is right here. We are a new creation. The old has passed. The new has come. So what happens when we receive Christ? I know who I am because I know who God is. He's the reconciler. The pursuer. The merciful and not counting our sins against us. Merciful in providing himself as a means for our forgiveness through Christ. 
confident in his own purposes, so much so that he would entrust imperfect people like you and like me to be his ambassadors, to carry his presence into the world, to implore the world to be reconciled to their father. We carry that message, we carry that truth, reconciliation with us. That's what it means, according to Paul, to be an ambassador. So I think a helpful question for us to consider that, to consider what it means to be an ambassador for Christ, to like this spirit be sent on behalf of our Father and our servant King, Ask yourself this, how can I show who God is in my actions and tell what he has done through Jesus with my words? As Jeff Vanderselt puts it, it's to be an ambassador is to, to show and tell. You know, that thing you did as kids when you brought in like your favorite toy. You know, do people do pets? I think that was a show and tell thing. I think Abe would be a disaster if I brought him into a kindergarten class, but <laughs> it's all another thing. But to show, show who God is. Show that God is a reconciler in your actions by being reconciled to people around you. Tell when, when people see that your life is different, they see that you have something in the gospel that maybe they don't. Tell them why. Tell them it's because of Jesus. When you're treating people like family who have no idea why you would do that to them, tell them it's because of Jesus. Live a life that demands a gospel explanation. To be an ambassador is to live a life that demands a gospel explanation. Because you're showing the love of the Father by treating everyone around you like family. Whether or not they deserve it, because we certainly didn't. It's because you serve them. Do the things that other people don't want to do. Washing feet was like the worst job you could have in that period. They only had sandals. Nobody's walking around in Reeboks, okay? Nobody had a fresh pair of Blundstones. They got their feet dirty, and cleaning them up was not pleasant. But that's what Christ did. The king, the ruler of the universe, washed dirty feet for the people he loved. We can display that love. We can display the posture of our king. We can represent him and live a life that demands a gospel explanation. So I want to conclude with this and to, to help remind us. We talked about being baptized in the name of when we're baptized, when we are, receive Christ, when we are made a disciple baptized in the name of the Father 
the Son, and the Spirit. And because of who he is, because he is our Father, because he is the Son, our King, because he is the Spirit, the witness of those things, of who God is and what he's done, and our equipper, we've been adopted, we've been served, and now we've been sent. And in that, we've been given a name. Because we are adopted, we're a family. Because our king leads in serving, we serve. And to be sent means that you are an ambassador for the one who sent you. So Emmaus, who are we? We are a family of servant ambassadors. We're the church, the bride of Christ. A city on a hill. And I want to, to, to go back to what I said in the beginning of, I know who I am because I know who God is. And I want us to, to consider what would it look like if we actually remembered that, if we really knew that. Because I think the challenge is that, you know, maybe if you listened well, I could corner you after the service and ask you, who are you? And you would say, the family of servant ambassadors. <laughs> Sunday school. <laughs> Check. That's really great. Um, and you would probably make me feel good on the inside for listening. But I want more for you than that. I want more for myself than that. To not just rattle off clever words developed by someone who's read a lot of Bible that we are, frankly, borrowing. I want us to actually know, actually have confidence that you can really say, I know who I am. You'd actually know that, that you would know who you are, that I, Ben, would know who I am because I know, I truly know who God is. I think often we were assaulted by the world wanting to tell us who we are. We're constantly advertised to, if you have this, if you take this next step, you'll be more fulfilled. You can craft your own identity if you surround yourself with the right things, if you shop the right places, you live in the right city, in the right neighborhood, if you have the right job. That's not who we are. We weren't baptized, we weren't called into the name of this or that brand, or this or that city. Our identity is not wrapped up and the things we have or don't have. You're baptized into the name of the Father who loves us. Baptized into the name of the Son 
who died for us. Amen. Baptized into the name of the Spirit who is with us, who goes before us. What if every time the world challenged you, what if every time you challenged yourself, you doubted your own identity, you practiced remembering who God is? Every time you find yourself believing a lie about who you are, a lie about yourself that isn't defined by God, it's defined by the enemy. You find yourself living in a story that isn't the true story that we've just been going over. But if when that happened, you remembered, you really remembered who God is. And I struggle with self-worth. And I think my worth is in what I produce, what I can do, what I can get done, what I can check off. Whether or not the songs that I picked moved you, whatever. What if instead of being wrapped up in my works as defining who Ben is, I said, I am a son of a father who loves me. So much so that he would let his son die for me. Amen. So much so that he would send his spirit to reside in me so I would never be alone. To equip me to not forget that he cares for me, that what he wants for me is good, right, and beautiful. What if I remember that I'm a son, that I'm adopted, I'm a part of a bigger family because I remembered that God is my father. And when I'm challenged by the lies of the enemy, the lies of the world around me, maybe sometimes even well-meaning lies. I remembered who I am because I knew who my father was. I knew who my king was. I know his spirit that lives in me. Emmaus, I promise you this. No one no power, authority on earth can take away who you are. Amen. Paul says, if Christ is for us, who can stand against? Who? Name one person. <laughs> Name one power. You can't. Because the Father is the one on the throne. Because your king is the one reigning. Because you have been empowered by his spirit. No one can take our new name away from us unless we forget. So Emmaus, don't forget. Do not forget who you are.
Know your Father. Know your King. Know the Spirit. And you will know, you will remember who you are. You've been given that name of family. You've been given the name servant. You've been given the name ambassador. Let's pray. Jesus, I often find myself overwhelmed with the noise, the noise of life. Jesus, a lot of us, even in this room, we know heartache and we know suffering. We know distraction. And it's, I think none of us would say that it, it, is, it isn't hard to get wrapped up in the things that are easy. That if we just had this, if we were just this way, if we were more like this person, we'd be whole. We'd be more of who we think we're supposed to be. But before the foundations of the world, you knew every hair on our heads. You've given us a name. You've given us a purpose. You've given us an identity. Jesus, whatever we're feeling this morning, would you, would you give us gratitude for that truth? That you love us. That you're for us. That nothing can stand against what you have said, who you have spoken our name to be, that we would live in that, that our lives aren't based on what we haven't done or what we have done in the past, but on who you call us to be, who you have told us that you will make us into, that we have hope in a future that cannot be shaken. Jesus, help us to remember who we are because we know who you are. Through your name we pray, amen.